life? No, we hear calls from the world around us. Live your life to the fullest. And we are urged to live this full life by pursuing our dreams because you only live once. In our schools, we persuade our young people to work hard and achieve their potential. And even as adults right now, we have life coaches. I mean, what's that? Life coaches. Coaches to help us live our life to the fullest. We are constantly urged to live the present moment of our lives to the fullest in pursuit of personal fulfillment and happiness. Now, what if I tell you the Bible tells us that we will have a full life? That as Christians, we are destined to live a full life. Not the half life that the world tells us to pursue. The life that often leads to our indulging our every momentary desires and a focus on ourselves. But a real, full life with Jesus Christ. Is this the real, full life what you're living for? How then will you live in the light of this life? We see Paul telling us that this real full life, what this real full life is, and how to live in the light of this life in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 to 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. This is what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. With the hope of Christ's coming return and our living this full life with Him, Paul exalts the Thessalonian church to encourage one another to live in the light of Jesus' coming return. As Christians, we are to be motivated by this gospel promise to live lives of self-control and mutual encouragement as we build out the church community. You should know that at the time of Paul's writing, the Thessalonian church was a young church. Paul and his companions had only spent three weeks with this new church plant. And in his concern for this church, Paul had sent Timothy back to check out how they were doing. Timothy returned and gave a report that the church at Thessalonica, they were doing quite well. However, the church had not expected the initial prosecution from their Jewish opponents to continue for so long. It had continued non-stop for so long. And some of these new Christians, they were also questioning their own final salvation. They questioned this in the view of the recent unexpected deaths of some of in their community. They wondered whether the deaths were an expression of God's disapproval. And because of the short period that Paul and his companions had spent with the church before they were forced to leave, 
the church there had an incomplete understanding about the second coming of Jesus Christ. They, as a church, they did not understand the teaching of Jesus Christ's return and what it means to them. As a result, they did not know how to respond well to these challenges that they were facing. So Paul, in writing, his main purpose in writing this letter to the Thessalonians was to strengthen the hope of the Thessalonian Christians in the wake of this unexpected deaths of people in the congregation, as well as to reassure them that both the dead and the living were destined to be safe at Christ's second coming. We see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 onwards to chapter 5, verse 11. And in the verses we are look, shall be looking at today, the Thessalonian church, the Thessalonian Christians, they were also urged to live in the light of their destined salvation in Jesus Christ. They were encouraged to live in holy alertness as they await Jesus' return. And they were encouraged as well. Uh, they were to encourage and build one another as well in the light of this hope. Just a story. When I was serving my national service quite some time back, at some point, yes, I was rather fit at some point. Okay? Like some of the young men are missed too, they are serving their NS right now, the national service right now. I had some days where I was called to do guard duty. And for those of you who had not had this wonderful experience before, I will tell you, you will struggle to stay awake. It doesn't help that a large part of the guard duty takes place in the middle of the night. And that it was not the most exciting of things that you can be doing in your time. I was joking with some of my friends that it may be more exciting to watch paint dry. Okay? However, we needed to stay awake and be alert. You know, I would like to say that you know, we were on alert because we realised that we were protecting important military assets. And we wanted to do our part for the nations. I know I see some people shaking your head. No. The truth was that we didn't know when our senior officers would be coming back into the camp compound. And we definitely did not want to get caught for not doing our duty. I mean, that's the truth of it. Right, guys? Yeah. We want to avoid punishments. We want to avoid getting extra duties. As for the Thessalonians, Paul urges them to live in holy alertness, not so much to avoid punishment and extra duties, but they were to do this, they should do this, because Christ is coming back again. We hear again from Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul starts with a so then. Okay, so if you have a pen and you open Bibles, you can actually circle that. It's important to circle connecting words. So Paul starts with a so then. What this means is that we need to look at the verses before this to see what Paul was saying before he says, so then, live like this. He tells us in the verse before, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5, that Christians are children of light, children of the day. 
you need to get Paul's argument. Because we have trusted in the gospel and have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have a new identity. We have been transferred from darkness into light. And it's because of our new identity, new identity as children of light, children of the day, that there are now moral implications on how we are to live. Or in short, who or what we are determines what we should do. What we do finds its roots in the prior work of God in our lives. Because we have been made children of light, children of the day, via our salvation, now we are to act according to our new state of being. Paul always does this. When Paul talks about grace, he connects it to obedience. We are to act who we are. We are to act who we are. Obedience disconnected from grace becomes legalistic. Grace disconnected from obedience becomes mere talk. And what does Paul call the Thessalonian Christians to do? He tells them and us, let us not sleep. And he's not talking about those falling asleep right now in this, during this sermon. He's talking about something else. Sleep in this context has been used, is used as a metaphor for death. Okay? But here, as Paul writes in these few verses, it figuratively characterizes the moral and spiritual indifference of those who have, are not converted. When you are asleep, you are not concerned about what is happening around you. Your conduct as a Christian should be different and distinct from that of others, meaning the unbelievers whose lives are marked by the sleep of moral indifference and sin. Instead of being asleep in sin, Paul exhorts Thessalonian Christians to let us keep awake and be sober. What this means is that Paul calls them to be alert, to be vigilant, to be both spiritually and morally, especially in the light of the challenges that they were facing. In other words, they are called to be alert and self-controlled and to be on guard. They are called to be alert and self-controlled and be on guard. They were to function with the moral state of having all systems on and functioning, exercising moral control or self-restraint and having clear, clear thinking in the face of adversity. This is the way Christians are to remain alert and sober as children of light and children of the day. Paul continues to use all these uh, word pictures and metaphors as he declares in verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. What he does here is he describes two activities that people primarily engage in at night, sleeping and getting drunk. Okay, the normal time for most of us is to sleep at night. Okay, I know some of us who are, can sleep like 12 hours a day or even longer than that, but the normal time for most of us is to sleep at night. And those getting drunk normally do not do so in the middle of the day. They do not do so in the middle of the day. So what Paul is saying here, being sober characterizes life during the day, while the night is often associated with a variety of sins. So this negative association gives a sense of night in this verse as a time of darkness that, as Paul says elsewhere, is already on its way out with the dawn of the gospel. 
During this time, those who have not accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ sleep. Paul is making a reference here to their moral and spiritual indifference. So the thought that Paul is driving home here is those who, are, who sleep and get drunk, who are spiritually and morally indifferent, or in, in the Singaporean context, couldn't care less, okay, we couldn't care less, okay, will not be ready for the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus returns. Because of this, their state of unreadiness, the day of Jesus Christ's return will come upon them like a thief in the night and catch them totally unprepared. On the other hand, the state of the Christian is different. Since we are of the day and we should be prepared, we are always prepared. In contrast to the unbelievers, since we belong today, we are to be like good soldiers, disciplined and clear-headed, prepared for Jesus Christ's coming return. Paul continues to draw on word pictures here and he used the imagery of Roman soldiers as he urges the Thessalonian Christians in their preparedness to put on the armour of God. Christians, in the light of Christ's coming return, you are called to remain sober and ready for Jesus Christ's return. But you must also be armed with these fundamental Christian virtues, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and helmet, the hope of salvation. For helmet, the hope of salvation. What we see here, Paul again quotes and adapts from an Old Testament text in Isaiah 59, 17. Isaiah 59, 17. This is what it says in this text. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Paul ad adapts from this Old Testament text such that it is no longer God who is described as the divine warrior here, but rather the human believer who wears the armour. So what Paul does is he uses this imagery of military wear in his day to urge the Thessalonian Christians, urge you and me, that we should not fear the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ returns. Because all we need to do is to put on the armour of faith, love and hope. Virtues which we see that the Thessalonian church, the Thessalonian Christians have already shown that they possess in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. And then Paul concludes this, session, this section with the reminder of salvation. The idea of Christ's great work for sinners. And in one sense, this salvation is a very present reality. We should be experiencing its reality in the change it makes in our lives right now. But in another sense, it is yet to be brought to its final fulfillment. It will be fully fulfilled when Christ comes again. And it is this forward-looking aspect, forward-looking hope that is before us when we read of this hope of salvation. But at the same time, when we hear the word, the term hope used, this, in, in, in the biblical context, it does not imply any uncertainty. Most times when we talk about hope in our common language, we think that uh, it may happen or may not happen. But when the Bible uses hope here, it does not imply any uncertainty. The New Testament idea of hope includes the idea of assured certainty. For this hope is grounded in God's action. But it is not realised as yet. And therefore, it is still hope and not sight. 
but it's a certain guarantee hope. Therefore, in the light of having this certain hope of Jesus Christ coming back again, are you alert and self-controlled? Are you putting on the virtues of faith, hope and love? Or are you asleep and drunk, living life no differently from the unbelieving world around you? You know, many Singaporeans love to travel for their holidays. And I'm sure a number of you have travelled at least once in the last three to six months. In fact, we have a number who are not with us today because they are right now travelling on holiday. Okay, there's a bunch of them in Japan. Okay? Do you remember the enchantment of travelling when you were a child? Everything seems new and wonderful on the trip. I'm sure it's not just me, right? When you're a child, you travel, you, you think... Wow, such a wonderful trip. Everything seems new, so wonderful, so beautiful. Do you remember also the sense of excitement in the weeks leading up to the trip that your parents promised to bring you on? Somehow, the anticipation of the trip changes the weeks of waiting that leads up to it. You plan and you pack and you look forward to the trip. And somehow, the time leading up to the trip seems better. No? any difficulties you face seem somehow smaller in the light of this anticipated, wonderful and bad uh, trip that you're going on. What happens is this hope of something better and wonderful changes how you view and you live your life in the time leading up to it. Let me repeat that. What actually happens, that what actually you experience is the hope of something better and wonderful changing how you view and live your life in the time leading up to it. And this is what Paul means and urges in the next few verses. Paul urges you and I to live in the light of our destined salvation. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9-11. to So look at your Bible again. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Paul, having started on the subject of salvation in verses 8, he follows it up in these verses. His first point is that salvation proceeds by God, from God's appointment. It is God who initiates our salvation. In Paul's writing, this great truth is always coming out, for this is central to the gospel. All other religions present people, present you and me, with something that we must do in order to be saved. Christianity alone tells us that all has been done. This is true of our salvation, for our sins were taken away through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for us. This is so true of the fact that we are safe at all. This is a matter of divine appointment, of the fact that God Himself calls us to salvation. We don't simply wake up one day and decide to belong to God. It's God who calls us to salvation. And the word appoint here, though it's not as specific as words as called or predestined, but here it means pretty much the same. It rests our salvation 
on God's initiative. And then Paul proceeds to speak of salvation negatively and positively. God has not destined us for wrath, negative, but to obtain salvation positively. God's purpose for us is not wrath. God is angry at sin and He's angry at everything that is evil. And we should not try to explain that away. But Paul tells us that salvation includes the fact that God did not destine His own people to experience His anger and wrath. On the contrary, God purposed that we should obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But what does it mean when we say we obtain salvation? You know, when we say obtain, there's a sense that maybe we are to work for it. Not true. Okay? We can translate obtain to mean receive or acquire. What this means is not that we are saved by our works, but simply that we are to make salvation our own by entering fully into the possession of it. Salvation, after all, is not just a mere abstract, theological abstract concept. It is something we experience right now, something to be claimed in our present life as we see the changes it makes in our lives. This salvation is nothing in the way of our human merit or initiative. And this is made very clear by Paul telling us, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The salvation spoken of is one that comes through Christ's work for us and not through anything that you and I can do. And if this is not enough, this is further underlined by Paul drawing attention to the basis of all our, of our salvation, the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And we see this in verse 10. Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Here, Paul uses the, wake, the word awake and asleep differently. Paul is, is pretty much of a wordsmith. There's a word play here. As the words he uses before, now here means alive or dead, respectively. The purpose of Christ's death is that Christians will live with Him, whether we live or die. Paul tells us that the death of Jesus has brought about a new relationship between God and sinners. Those who are Christ live with Him. We live the full life with Jesus Christ. My friends, if you want to live life to the fullest, this is it. There is here the thought of the close union which elsewhere is described with the phrase, in Christ. And this relationship is not even disturbed even by a final and decisive happening such as death. The death um, uh, among some of the Thessalonians which the Thessalonian church faced. Death is final and decisive only when you speak of it in worldly terms. For Christians, the whole concept of death has been transformed. For us, it holds no terrors. In life or in death, in death, we are Christ. We are with Christ. We are in Christ. We can have confidence of a life with Christ when He comes back again. You know, when I, whenever I read this, especially verses 9 and 10, I can't help but be amazed. You know, my friends, isn't this a wonderful hope? As 
the uh, writer Berg Parson writes, and a quote at the bottom of the bulletin, the promise of the gospel is that Christ died as a certain guarantee of our inheritance and will return that we might live with Him forever. Read that again and let that sink in. Paul ends off this section with a final exhortation. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. One translation by J.B. Phillips go, so go on cheering and strengthening each other with thoughts like these. If you look carefully, the tense of Paul's commands is present continuous. What it does is it conveys the thought that this is something that Christians should be doing continuously and habitually. And the verb translated encourage here has the idea of strengthening uh, the person by one's words. In one sense, we are to be cheerleaders. We are to be cheerleaders for one another. And the second command here, built, gives us the thought that this great truth about Jesus Christ coming back again are not simply something for us just to think about or to debate about or enable us to hold our ground, but something more. Because the New Testament sees the Christian way of faith as a continual growth. So those of us who are in Christ are people who are growing in spiritual maturity and in knowledge and love of God. But you may ask, what is the content of our encouragement and the building up of one another? It's all this great truth that Paul is talking about in these verses. The second coming of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, the character of Christians as children of the day and children of the light, the necessity of us watching in alertness for understanding that God has called us not to wrath, unto wrath, but unto salvation. And this at the cost of the death of His Son. And all these other matters which Paul has been referring to in these verses, all these are means of promoting growth. And who, just who, is to be doing the building up? Paul looks to the certain Christians to accomplish this themselves under the guidance of the Spirit. We see in verse 11, how many times does Paul use the word one another? Not once, but twice. Paul here emphasizes the mutual responsibility of Christians for one another and how they can serve one another. As members of Grace Baptist Church, we are encouraged, we are to encourage and build one another in the light of His coming back and not to tear each other down. And this is the responsibility of each and every member towards each other, not just the job of preachers and teachers or leaders. And Paul concludes with just as you are doing. This shows us that what he asks for the Thessalonian Christians to do is not some airy-fairy idealism. He knows the way in which the Thessalonians are already helping one another and he encourages and commends them for it. And just as I know, for me, myself, I know that some of you are already encouraging and building up one another. I know of an older gentleman who is retired now, Miss, who meets people weekly, picks different people in the church to meet weekly, to meet up with them, to encourage them. I know the young adults meet up outside of their young adult care group time with one another, catch up with one another, to encourage one another. I know of others in our midst who are doing that. 
Paul tells us that all this we are doing, this is good work, keep at it. But he urges us to go forward continuing this way. We may never relax on the grounds that we have already made enough progress. But rather, we are to spur each other onwards towards Christ-likeness. Do you have confidence of a life with Christ when He comes back again? If you have questions and doubts, feel free to approach any of the elders and pastors after this service. Are we as a church encouraging and building one another up with the gospel promises of Jesus Christ? Are we cheerleading each other on, uh, being each other's best cheerleaders to encourage each other, pointing each other to the gospel promises of Jesus Christ? Or are you content with where you are in your faith right now? Do you content? Are you content with being stagnant? So what? What now? We see here, contrary to the promises of life by the world, which is really half life or no life at all, God promises Christians the full life with Christ. And this is the why that should drive our living right now. Christians are to let the hope of Christ's certain coming return motivate us to lives of self-control, alertness, and mutual encouragement. The promise drives our practice. The promise drives our practice. So now, how are we to live? Firstly, you are to serve by encouraging and building one another up rather than speculating or speculate. Like some of the Thessalonians then, I have heard one or two of our church members, some of us may be caught up with the details of Christ's return. Now we focus overly much on the prophecies and predictions of Jesus' coming. Okay? And much of these teachings come, flows out of certain quarters of Christianity. Much of these are speculations at best. We are called, rather than speculate, we are called to serve right now by encouraging and building up one another. Also, for those of us, for us in the secondary sense, as a church, we are facing a lot of transitions and uncertainties, especially this year. It is almost tempting for us right now to speculate and get caught up with the uncertainties. But I urge us as a church to serve right now. Rather than caught up with the what-ifs and ifs only, let's serve by continuing to encourage and build up one another. We already know the certainty of Christ's coming return and our life with Him. So let us all live in the light of that by serving to encourage and build one another up right now. And I'd like to make a practical suggestion of how we can do so. Besides coming earlier and leaving later for our worship service so you have time for one another, can you perhaps consider meeting up with other church members once a week over a lunch or dinner? I know, I know, Singaporeans, we are busy, we have a lot of things on our plate, but we have to eat our meals anyway, right? Okay? So, why don't you incorporate your meetups, uh, your meals with meetups to encourage and build one another? Be creative. Incorporate this into the rhythms of your own life. Be creative about how you serve each other. Perhaps find out who in church work around your area. Arrange your meetup for a meal and perhaps discuss the Sunday sermon or to share your personal devotions as you encourage and build one another up with gospel truths. Secondly, you are to live holy lives secure in God's promises to 
to us in Christ. I also know some of in our midst who struggle with God's God accepting you. You struggle with assurance of your salvation. I mean, how can God accept and love someone who sins and fails again and again? Let me let you in on a secret. Guess what? I still sin and fail again and again as well. If I were to base God's acceptance and love for me on how well I do, I will fail to meet God's mark time and again and be thrown into despair. And there are times which I despair. But at such times, I remember, the thing is, it's not my effort that I find security in. But our security is based on God's promises to us in Christ. God keeps His promises He makes to us. We can be certain of this. And because of this, we can face the difficulties and struggles and oppositions in our lives and still live holy lives devoted to God because we know that it is all not in vain. So Grace Baptist Church, continue to live holy lives characterized by faith, hope and love. With the hope of Christ's coming return and the Christian living this full life with Him, Paul exalts the Thessalonian church to encourage one another to live in the light of Christ's coming return. You and I are to be motivated by this gospel promise to live lives of self-control, holy alertness and mutual encouragement as we build up the church community here at Grace Baptist Church. And we can do this knowing that we have the gospel promise for God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Let us pray. Father God, we thank You that You love us and You have not destined us for wrath, but rather to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for Jesus Christ who died for us, so that we might live this full life with Him. We thank You for this gospel promise and we ask that You will help each of us live in the light of this hope. We pray that as a church, You will shape us to be a community marked by each member encouraging and building up one another so that as a church, we will more and more testify to the glorious hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this for Your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.